month, which is where we're at. So we're in a break of Ephesians. Although I have to say, it is somewhat easier from like my my point of like my life to uh, to be in a book and uh, to be going. I know where I'm headed. I know where I'm going. The next, you know, I I know within a week or two. You know, I, I know sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll cut it off and say, we'll just catch that next week or we'll go long or we'll go short. But I pretty much know what, what's going to happen from week to week. And so when we do something like this, uh, it, it's different. I got to, you know, pray, pray a ton. Lord, direct me to what we're supposed to be uh, studying in your word. And, and when it comes to missions, you know, um, I don't know if it's the deepest theological, you know, lessons that we need to learn. Jesus said, go. Jesus said, go into all the world. And that's a pretty, you know, straightforward. There's not a lot of interpretation. There's not a lot of discussion about that. It's go. And so uh, that's what we're about in the month of February. We are thankful for those who have gone. We're thankful for those who are going to go. Be praying for your children uh, that God would lay on them a heart for missions. Now, whether they end up going off to India or the farthest corners of the world, it does not matter because we are called to be witnesses wherever we go. There is a mission field that is ripe in Silicon Valley. Now, I don't know if you've noticed, uh, if you ever like head off to Valley Fair or Oak Ridge or something like that, but uh, Silicon Valley has become really a destination point for the talented and the smart from all across the world. And, uh, you know, I see people from India, uh, different parts of Asia, Europe, the Middle East. If they're reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ, when they go home and visit, they will be different and they will tell others. And so we have a mission field right where we're at. And the world has changed so much, hasn't it? Too, do you, I mean, you know what the internet can do? There are no more walls I remember the radio ministries when I was growing up. People would say, we set up radio towers outside of Russia, outside of Korea, North Korea, um, and other places that are close to the gospel. And they would broadcast the gospel in their language. And you can't stop the radio waves, right? Well, they're trying to stop the internet in some places, but yet it gets through. Pray for these ministries that are strategically sending the gospel to the nations. And I just love it. Uh, basically, God's church can't be stopped, can it? Because it's God's church. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know what that means too? It doesn't mean hell is attacking. It means we are pushing by God's grace into those gates. And the gates of hell get smaller and smaller because God does indeed love to use us for his sovereign plan of salvation for the peoples. And what a blessing it is. So I'm thankful to be a part of a church that demonstrates a love for Jesus Christ by proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to others. And we also pray and support those who are called out to the nations, a message of great news. And we know Jesus saves sinners. That's, uh, there's no better message. There's nothing better to say. And, and you know, really through the years, I've heard many different types of messages on missions. Uh, I've heard inspiring messages where you just see what God has done and you leave saying, I want to be a part of that. Look what God is doing. I've listened to pre preaching on missions that frankly was, was pretty harsh. If you don't go, you're in sin. Now, if you don't care about missions, you're in sin. And if you're not going, 
wherever God has placed you, you are in sin. But God has not called every single person to go. Some don't have the health. Some don't have the, the, the giftedness. Some are called to stay and to pray and to give. But we must be about missions. But some of them, uh, you know, I don't want to get too, too uh, uh, disrespectful is not the word. But I remember growing up and, and I was in an altar call type church where we did a lot of standing and a lot of raising to, you know, raise your hand. And the service would not end oftentimes till someone would raise their hand. And uh, they say, so, you know, let's start off. Who feels called to go off to the mission field? And if no one raised their hand, then it would be a little broader. You know, and finally we'd get down to, if you care about missions, please stand. Well, at that point, you better stand. <laughs> right? Otherwise, you're in big trouble. So like, okay, we better stand up. But then we would close in prayer. And I say this, not really out of humor or anything like that, but what is really the reason for missions? Is it out of compulsion? We don't go out of compulsion. We don't go out of a message and someone telling us to go. We go out of a love for Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And so I, today in our passage, I want to look at a reason we go to the nations, to our neighbors, to our friends, and to our family, and why we do tell others about salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. We do this because of obedience to Jesus Christ, and we obey for the glory of Jesus Christ. We will tell others about, and we talked about this last week, we will tell others about that or whom we find to be great. And there's no one greater than Jesus and it really is all about Jesus. It's all about his glory. It's all about his fame. And there's no greater message than this. Jesus is the friend of sinners. And we tell others what Jesus himself said. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus said this. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. You know what that means? He came for you. And he came for me. And I really believe the greatest motivation for missions is to know Jesus Christ. When we know Jesus, when we know and experience his love and his grace that he poured out upon us, that love cannot remain passive. It is not ever going to be inactive. Jesus loves us. We hear that a lot, don't we? I pray you feel it today. I pray you know it. Not just the fact, but you know with all within you that Jesus loves you. And his love changes our lives. We will not be the same when we are awakened to the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so we cannot remain silent. So no one should ever feel guilted into missions. When we are changed by Jesus, really we become like Paul, don't we? Turn to Romans 1. I want you to, to see Paul's heart. Yeah, Romans 1, where we're going to be, could be a message in and of itself. And I really don't know how far we'll get today. This is kind of a random thoughts of missions, but I want to look at Jesus' love, what Jesus has done for us, because here's what happens. Starting in verse 8 of Romans chapter 1. Paul wants to go to Rome, and he says this first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, 
Asking what? That somehow by God's will I I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Isn't that wonderful what the body of Christ does when we're together? We are mutually encouraged by one another because of our faith. And I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as as among the rest of the Gentiles. And listen to this. I am under obligation, both to Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Why? For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. You see the, you see the language Paul uses? Does that sound like someone under guilt? Under some type of a, a oppression or bondage to preach the gospel? What are the words you see? He's not coerced. He says this, I'm under obligation because of what Jesus has done. I have to tell Greeks and barbarians. I need to tell this to the wise and to the foolish. He says, I'm eager. I'm eager to preach. Why is Paul so eager? The gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Why? It is the power of God for salvation. To the Jew first, and oh, to everyone who believes, very important. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, for in it, for in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. Can I ask, do we have this heart? As I read this, I asked myself, do I have this heart? Do I have this same uh, motivation as Paul? Because Paul was motivated and even obligated to preach because he knew the gospel of Jesus is the power of God for salvation. You know, our desire to share the gospel really should be like an excited child. You know what I'm talking about? Those of you who have been parents and, and uh, maybe you had a kid like this, you probably know what I mean when I say an excited child who wants to share something. Uh, we have three daughters. One is a talker. She is a sharer of detailed stories from her day. Now, if you have two of those type of kids, it just becomes torture, right? Can you imagine dinner time, two kids who just can't wait to share and you just see them like getting antsy and they're like, I got something to say, I got something to say, I got something to say. And they're like raising their hands. Oh, 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 pick me, pick me, right? You know what this type of kid is like. But there's some, you know, they they come in, how was your day? And if you ask, how was your day? You better be ready. You better be ready to hear exactly what is going on in their lives. You have to sit down and listen for a while. Are we that way? Are we quick? Can we not wait to tell people about Jesus? Because that's how we should be. 
And so we want to focus on Jesus today, and we're going to look at our merciful and gracious Savior, and it's going to lead wonderfully into a time of communion, because I want to look at the heart of Christ. I want to look at Jesus, because he will be our motivation today. We will see Jesus Christ and his amazing love for the sinner. Turn uh, with me to Luke 15. I'm going to read the chapter. It's a little long. It's Christ telling a story, three of them to be exact, and it's in a response to something that the tax to the, the Pharisees and scribes were saying about Christ. And so I want to read this and listen for the heart of God in these passages. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. And he said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and before you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son, this, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. 
Now the older son in the field and as, was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what, was, what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came who has de de devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was filling, fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. What a passage. You see, our passage starts out with an accusation against Jesus Christ, against Jesus. The Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling. There's just something about the word grumble, huh? Grumble. It just, it just, it, it's so appropriate. Like, it works. They were grumbling, complaining. They were upset. And they were upset as, at Jesus. And look at their accusation. This man receives sinners and eats with them. You see, Jesus was dining and he was seating tax gatherers and sinners at his table. Now the word in the, in the passage is this. When Jesus says Jesus was receiving sinners and tax gatherers, the word receive is really amazing. It's a very, very active word. It's not passive in any sense. Each time Luke uses it, it describes an eagerness. It describes an active looking, an active searching. It's a looking with expectation. It's used with Simeon in the temple when Christ was born. And we see that Simeon in the temple was eagerly awaiting the consolation of Israel. Simeon was waiting for the Messiah. He was eagerly watching and looking for the Messiah. It's also used later in that chapter for Anna. She was eager, watching and awaiting the redemption of Israel. And then it's also the word Jesus used in Luke 12, as Jesus says to be like men who are eagerly awaiting and watching and looking for the return of the master from the wedding feast. See, this idea of receiving is not passive, and I want to make that very clear. When it says Jesus is receiving sinners, he's, he's out there looking and go, you, tax gatherer, come, come to my table. Come, sit, eat with me. Jesus was looking for, waiting for, he was eager to welcome sinners to his table, and he was watching for them to come. And I don't want us to lose sight of this. I don't want us to ever forget this. Right now, all of us will fall into one of two categories. You are either like the scribes and Pharisees who are saying, I don't get this, I don't like this, look at those sinners. We're either self-righteous and self-deceived and we believe we are good enough that we are not in need of salvation, that what we can accomplish is just fine on our own. Or we are one who recognizes the truth that we are wicked and we are the tax gatherer and the sinner. That is wrong. By God's grace, 
Jesus was out looking for me, wicked, sinful, and I am thankful for that. Now, you need to understand that when Jesus received tax gatherers, what that meant in this culture. Now, today, do we, do we like the tax guy? I mean, April's coming, right? You guys got your forms at the end of January, and if maybe your employer was a little slow, you got the first week of February, which they're not supposed to do, but uh, that's a whole other topic, right? But it's like, oh, tax time. Did we put enough away? Are we going to get money back? Did we get this perfect and it'll just wash out evenly? Just love paying Uncle Sam, don't we? You don't have to answer that. We do need to render to Caesar what is Caesar's, God says, though. I know. It doesn't always sound good, does it? But we do. But the tax gatherers at this time were hated. Hated by the people. Why? They were traitors. They were treasonous. In their actions, they were aiding the Roman government by collecting taxes. Now, not only did they collect taxes for the Roman government, but they were very, very good at commission-based income. It was pretty much, if the Romans asked for a dollar, they would collect two. One for the Romans, one for my pocket. They were stealing from their own countrymen, from their own people, from their own nation, from their own blood, from a covenant people. Traitorous. Can you imagine what we would think of tax collectors if that's what they did? We would avoid them, wouldn't we? Man, if we knew they were down there outside of Safeway, can you imagine like every time you walk into Safeway, uh-oh, there's the tax guy. Maybe the, other, maybe the other entrance. Let's try that one. We would avoid it. We would hate it. What would we think if we were occupied by another kingdom or another country? And then there were the sinners. This was a way that the scribes and Pharisees really described a class of people. These were people who were known by their immorality, their questionable life choices. These are people that respectable Jews would not associate with. It's who respectable people wouldn't associate with. We would not want to be found in company with the sinners. This is the prostitute. This is the outcast. This is those who have that reputation of being a Sinner. And you know what we're talking about, right? This is the ones that we would call wicked, evil, sinful, sinners. Now, in this culture, too, some diseases and disabilities were seen as proof of some great sin in their lives. Remember when Jesus was asked, Who sinned that this man is blind? You guys remember that story? Was it his parents' fault or his fault? And what did Jesus do? He healed the man. You see, the sinner was the wicked, the harlot, the outcast, those physically and morally unapproachable, the unclean. And this is who Jesus was receiving, looking for, and accepting at his table. And this was unacceptable to the scribes and to the Pharisees. So let's look at Jesus, see his response. Jesus answers the scribes and the Pharisees. The first answer is this. Jesus welcoming sinners is like a shepherd who finds his lost sheep and celebrates with his friends. Jesus is the shepherd and he's seeking the lost sheep. 
And when he returns with the sheep that was found, what does he do? He shares the great news. This is celebration-worthy news. Any of you ever have good news that you kept to yourself? What a shame if you kept it to yourself, huh? We should be like that excited child. What? Guess what happened to me today? We should be people because of Jesus Christ who say, look what Jesus has done for me yesterday, today, and forever. We should be saturated with Christ. And we should be, come, come over. Let me tell you, rejoice with me. Celebrate with me. Oh, Christians, let's celebrate Christ. It drives me crazy to see Christians just... Yeah, I'm saved. Jesus is great. Uh, what? That, that's lame. That's terrible. Sorry, youth pastor lingo comes out once in a while. That's not good. Celebrate. I was lost, now I'm found. Do you see the shepherd here? Now, I have a little dog. We have had a dog for like a year. A little over a year. I know. We are crazy about that dog. Little Yorkie. I mean, you can't believe it. We love, I can't even believe it. I mean, I, it was like, you want to get a dog? Let's get a dog. I love that dog. It's sick. And I can't help myself. I've tried to be mellow and I can't. It's the cutest thing in the world and it loves me. So we're good. And, and that dog, but if that dog got out, like we're vigilant. The door, doorbell rings, you come to our house, like grab the dog, because she'll bolt. Like we will not let you in until we know the dog is safe. You know, we take care of it. But if that dog came out, you couldn't bet. We would be on the phone. We'd be texting everyone. Find my dog. Find my dog. Because she's so great, someone would steal her. I have no doubt. <laughs> it's true. And if we found Posey, and when we did, we'd be like telling everybody. And I would venture to say we would have a party. At least in our house. We'd be like, woohoo, she's back. Give her a treat. But do you see? Do you see the heart there? Do you, I mean, if you have pets, you know what you love. What about this? Have you ever lost sight of your child? Have you ever lost them and said, where are they? That is a horrible, horrible experience. And the worst thoughts will instantly enter your mind. Not to mention names, but we had one who was sick who went into the men's bathroom instead of the woman's bathroom. Could not find her for a while. I wasn't there but you bet I heard about it. It was horrific. And when she was found, the relief and the joy and the tears were real. That is our savior when he finds that which was lost. See, there's a picture. This is a picture of heaven and salvation of the sinner. And Jesus said, just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So Jesus is like the shepherd who finds the lost sheep. And he rejoices. And there's celebration. And there's a party. And joy in heaven over repentance. Do you think Jesus loves the sinner? Amen. He celebrates over their salvation. Second answer. In verses 8 through 10, Jesus receiving sinners is like the woman who has lost a coin, finds it, and celebrates with her friends. I really, really 
identify with the joy of finding lost money and coins. I have to admit it. You ever gotten that bonus? You know what I'm talking about, the bonus of you reach into your jeans and into your pocket and it feels like maybe it's an old receipt, a little piece of paper, you're like, what in the world is that? And turn to find out it is this crumpled up $20 bill that's gone through the wash maybe two or three times and so it's nice and crisp and it doesn't feel like money. And you find out, woohoo, I found money. You're like, I'm not gonna tell my wife. <laughs> I'm teasing. But it's like, woohoo, I got an extra 20 bucks. I, and I'm sorry. One of the elders asked us not to banter back and forth, but it's who we are. I can't help it. And uh, sorry, guys. Um, but we find money, and we're like, this is awesome. I found a $20 bill. We know the joy of finding these things. How about, have you ever lost money? Maybe you've lost significant money before. Where'd it go? Karen and I went to the 49er game uh, when you guys gifted us the tickets back in December. Well, when you go into Levi Stadium, you can't bring a whole lot in. I mean, there, it's security is tight. And so I didn't want to really bring much in, so I, I didn't bring in my wallet, and I just took some cash, put it in my pocket, along with a card. And uh, I put a $100 bill in my pocket. And so uh, it was in there, and at the stadium, you know, $12 for a soda just wasn't really feeling real good, so we didn't eat. At, at the stadium, but we had a great time. Uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, but when we left, that meant we were hungry, and so we went to grab a quick bite to eat. And as we went to pay for uh, uh, our meal, just a quick, I, I reached into my pocket, and Mr. Franklin was missing. It, it was gone. Nowhere to be found. I'm checking every pocket. I'm checking the back pocket. I'm checking my coats, my sweatshirt. And it wasn't there. Now, if you know me, you know I tend not to handle those type of things too well. I'll say the right thing. And I think I said something like, I pray that you know, someone who really needs it finds it. And I, I, I mean that, but I really mean that I hope I get my $100 back. I tend to dwell on it for a long time. And uh, I was telling myself not to get upset, and Karen was being kind, and that makes it worse. You know what I mean? It wasn't like, ah, I almost felt like saying, can't you just say you're an idiot for losing $100 and then I'll feel better? But she was being kind. And I'm like, I can't believe I lost $100. So as we left, I did the last thing I thought. We get in the car and I go, this is the last chance. And I did the whole look under the seat kind of thing. Well, it turns out when I grabbed my phone to charge it, it had fallen out when I was seated and it went down the side of the of the of the seat, and I found my $100 bill. I did the happy dance. You don't need to, you don't need to clap. But, but I found it. I was like, oh, we found the money. I'm like, woohoo. And I was like, I found, I found the money. Now, maybe for you, $100 is no big deal. For me, it's a big deal. Very big deal. And it was like Christmas time. I was like, did you take that from the Christmas cash? Maybe. Yeah, I did. And, and so when I found it, what I thought was a goner returned, and I, I told people. We went to my folks to pick up Katie, who was uh, baking cookies with my mom. And I'm like, guess what happened to us? We thought we lost 100. We found it. We're so happy. Life is good. And, oh, yeah, we had a great time of the game, but I found my $100. 
I was really, really happy about it. So we know what Jesus is saying in these parables. There is joy when the lost is found. We know that there's joy in heaven over lost sinners. We know what Jesus is saying. He's saying the lost sheep, the lost coin, they are representing lost sinners. Verses 7 and verses 10 say so in chapter 15. Being found is showing repentance. And we see this. Heaven is joyous over the repentance of sinners. Heaven celebrates the salvation of the lost. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus receives and hunts down you, and he hunts down me. He hunted us down. He loves us, and I love this. While we were still sinners, he received us. He died for us. And then the third answer is to the accusation of the Pharisees. And you all, you all know these stories. So I'm not diving into them huge, but I want to look at our Savior. Jesus' love for sinners is like a father who has lost his son, finds him, and then he celebrates with his whole house. Do you see what really it's about when we sing, I once was lost, but now I'm found. When that happened, there was joy in heaven for your salvation. There is joy. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. This son of mine was dead, but now he's alive. He was lost, now he's found. And the father said this, let's celebrate Let's party. That is the word. Party. Let's have tri-tip. Let's have steak. Let's kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate. Let's be merry. Now, the world has taken the world party and made it sinful, haven't they? What do you do? I party. We all know what that means. It means you go get drunk and do things you shouldn't do. Christian, brothers and sisters, we should celebrate and we should party and redeem it and take it back. When we gather together, when we celebrate the Lord's table, when we eat together, when we fellowship together, when we celebrate our salvation, let's show the world what proper celebration is. There is a right way and a wrong way. And by God's grace, we can celebrate the right way. We can bring our blessings. We can bring our food together with one another. And because of Christ, we celebrate with God our salvation. He is joyous over our salvation, so we need to be joyous together. A true party. The world, it's fake. It's an imposter. And yet we fall victim to it. Oh, man, they're having fun. No, they're not. It's fake. It's vanity fair, as John Bunyan put it. Where you're going to get stuck forever and the celestial kingdom is waiting where we'll have true joy. And the Father celebrates. Don't miss the party. Don't miss what God has done. And so what does this have to do with missions? We were lost and we were dead. In Christ, we've been found and in Christ, we've been made alive and we have to tell others 
because I like to party. We should love to party with the brothers and sisters in Christ. We celebrate Jesus. You know, and I know the world has taken this wrong. I'm saying it again. Let's take it back. God is about redemption. What the world does wrong, we do right by God's grace. We must tell others. We need to tell the world what Jesus has done and what he will do for them. I want to move into a, a time of communion. And if the men who are serving us today would, would come forward, we'll pass out the bread and the cup. I'm going to ask the musicians to come on up. Um, we're not going to sing as we're passing out, but we will close in song, so it's just kind of easier to have them up here. But while we're preparing for our time of celebration, where we're going to celebrate what Jesus has done for us, I want, to, I want you to go, if you have your Bibles, and look at chapter 14. Go back one, one chapter. Let's, uh, let's pray for communion and then we'll look at this, this chapter as, as uh, this section of verses as we, as we uh, receive our communion. Gracious Father, we thank you for your love for us, for the joy that you have given us because of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for our salvation. We thank you that you came to seek and to save the lost, that you are a friend to me, a great sinner, that you have rescued us, that you have redeemed us, that you have placed us into your kingdom. And so, Father, today we remember the cross. Remember, we remember how this was accomplished. It was not cheap. It was through the life of your son shedding his blood for us. And so, Father... In this time, may we remember and joyously celebrate what you have done for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.